you know, one of the things I'm always saying is that if this country is going to get better, if this country is going to go on the right path, we have to step up as a community. Veterans are the sleeping giant in this country, and it is time for us to step up. That's why I want to talk to you about the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina. Now, you might have thought about the Citadel in the past as this Corps of Cadets, this military institution, but they have programs for veterans that don't involve you joining the Corps of Cadets, don't involve you wearing a uniform every day, and don't involve you living a military lifestyle. If you want to do that, great. But if that's not what you're up for right now after your military career, then you don't have to do that. And you can access some of the best programs in the world. The Citadel has some hot degrees in intelligence, tactical strength and conditioning, engineering, and project management. And there's five student-type options for veterans. There's graduate college, there's evening undergraduate, there's active duty students, non-cadet day program, returning cadet veterans, and online programs. The academic offerings include undergraduate, graduate, college transfer, graduate certificates, and online degrees. Veterans have access to every single academic degree the college offers, and they have the most flexibility when it comes to their schedule. They can major in anything offered to the cadets and would take those classes during the day with the cadets. But then there's other programs offered in the evening or online and graduate programs to choose from, too, to make things so flexible for you. The U.S. World and News Report has named the Citadel the number one college for veterans in the South. And for veterans who choose to take classes on campus, they get to be a civilian student in a military environment. They don't have to wear uniforms, like I said before. They don't have to join the military culture of the Corps of Cadets. The atmosphere is a really good transition environment from military to civilian life. There's an organic mentorship that comes from taking classes with the cadets. The cadets want to talk to you guys. They want to hear your stories. They want to know what it was actually like to be in the military. A lot of, the, a lot of these men and women are going to go on to serve as officers in the military, and they're going to exact change, and they need to hear from you guys. They, You also get access to the Citadel's alumni network. Like I said, this is one of the most illustrious institutions in the world, and when you join the Citadel and you graduate, you're part of their alumni network. That includes so many leaders. It includes so many business leaders, so many leaders from the military, and so many leaders from the government. The college's core values of honor, duty, and respect align with veteran culture. They align with who you are, and it's something that you're not going to get anywhere else in this country. Uh, There is tons of special assistance for veterans at the Citadel, and whether you're a veteran or active duty military personnel, you can take advantage of these programs. You also get access to the Veteran Student Success Center, the Career Center, the Academic Success Center, the Student Veteran Association, and all campus clubs. If you want to play rugby, you could do that. If you you want to lift weights, you could do that. You get access to everything that the students get. There's fellowship opportunities. There's tons and tons of financial assistance. So if you're interested in getting a degree from the Citadel and building your life, head over to citadel.edu slash veterans. This is Chris Albert, and I'm here to remind you of one thing. Someday, you're going to die. That's not some morbid statement or scary idea. It's solid fact. Your time here on this earth is limited. And we need to be 
ashamed of this as much as possible for one simple reason. To live your best life while you can. This is the Warrior Soul Podcast. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Warrior Soul Podcast. My name is Chris Albert, and this is where we deliver tools, tactics, strategies, and ideas to help the U.S. military veteran community and anybody else willing to listen to live their absolute best lives. Um, I have a great guest for you today, uh, and this is something that I've become more and more interested in. I think it's a great vehicle for veterans, particularly because of the VA loan, but we're going to be talking about real estate investing. And my guest today, Ryan Chaw, he's been on a bunch of the real estate podcasts. He's been on um, Bigger Pockets. He's a pharmacist, but what he's done is uh, he's got a full-time job, everything like that, uh, nine to five, working every day, and he's investing in real estate. And this is something, like I said, this is something I've been trying to get into as much as I can this year. I, I bought my first property. I was able to use my VA home loan. I, I, you know, was really, really enjoying that process. And I'm in the process of, of trying to buy more. And, you know, anything I get into, I want to talk to you guys about too. Um, not that I'm an expert in any of this. I am a dumbass when... When compared to a lot of people, including my guest today, Mr. Ryan Chaw. Ryan uh, is awesome. He's a great dude. Um, he sincerely wants to help people to learn about real estate investing. And, um, you know, he's getting into talking to others about what he's been doing, which is buying property, holding on to it, charging a rent two people for living in that property and cash flowing on everything. So you guys will be sure to get a lot out of today's conversation. And um, I will have all the links up to Ryan's stuff on the show notes for this episode. So let's get into it with Mr. Ryan Chaw. Ryan Chaw, welcome to the Warrior Soul Podcast. How you doing, man? How's it going, Christopher? Appreciate you inviting me on the podcast. Yeah, man. Um, uh, you know, I heard you on Bigger Pockets probably, probably I think a month ago or something like that. Um, I was uh, right. listening to it on the way home. Heard a bit about your story, but um, you know, for the audience at home, could you give us kind of like a five minute or, or two to three minute synopsis of who you are, where you're coming from, what you do? Yeah, for sure. So I'm actually a pharmacist in California. I built up my rental portfolio on the side over the course of four years. I was able to build it to a six-figure kind of business. Uh, it makes $10,755 per month in rental income. I was actually inspired to get into real estate from my grandpa. He bought a couple of properties in the San Francisco Bay Area back in the 50s before Silicon Valley was even a thing. And then, as we know, when Silicon Valley was created, uh, the house prices went skyrocketed. Rents went up like crazy as well. And so Grandpa Shaw was able to retire uh, as a multimillionaire and um, live comfortably off of the rental income. And not only that, he was able to help um, cover some of my college tuition and that of my brother's as well. So I realized that real estate is one of the best ways to create generational wealth for your family. 
that's why I got into it as soon as possible, right? When I graduated as a pharmacist in 2015. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, right off the bat, the big question for you, you living in the, the state of California. I, I used to live in the state of California. Um, you know, I think the first people think when they think of California is really expensive place, um, you know, with, with a lot of tax implications and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, had, when you decided to get into real estate investing, um, did you choose the area you were, you were, uh, you're, you're living in just because you're in that area or, or did you look around? Did you think about those types of implications? Yeah. So I actually went to college in Stockton and I got this idea from my friend in, in college. He basically what he did is he house hacked. He rented, he stayed in a room, a bedroom, and then he rented out all the other bedrooms to college students, his college buddies. And he was able to pay for the mortgage from the rent he collected from his college buddies. And I decided, Hey, I can do this, you know? Um, so once I graduated as a pharmacist, I bought my first property in Stockton as well, right next to the college. It was a $262,000 house, uh, three bed, two bath. And the price to uh, rental income ratio just made a lot of sense. Uh, so the return on investment was really high for me because I was able to rent out by the bedroom. And I was able to also put in extra bedrooms where possible, like by putting up some drywall. And because I did that, I was able to double the amount of rental income I could be making on the property uh, based off of estimates on Zillow and Rentometer.com. I was basically doubling that rental income because I rent out each bedroom for about $600 to $700 per, per room, which makes around $2,500 to $3,100 in rental income. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, let's let's take a step back here and let's um, kind of define a few things because, you know, I think a lot of people, when they think about real estate investing, they think about like, um, you know, the flipper shows you see on TV and things like that. What you're talking about here is is more like cash flow investing. And maybe we want to define those terms like, you know, what's the difference between what you're doing versus like flipping versus and, and what is a ha- house hack, for example, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so for flippers... Um, that's a form of active income. So active income is where you have to put a lot of work in, your time in, in order to make the amount of income that you're making. And the unfortunate part about that is you're taxed a lot more heavily. So flippers, they have self-employment tax as well as the regular income tax that they have to pay. So even though you flip a property, you make maybe $50,000 on it, you're actually only getting half of that, $25,000, because you have to pay a lot of those taxes. Versus what I do is called buy and hold investing. It's a form of passive income where you buy the property, then you rent it out. And that rental income, you could deduct a lot of your expenses, something called depreciation. You can deduct a lot from your taxes. And basically, you don't have to pay as too much taxes on that rental income. Other things you could deduct are like your interest, right? You can also deduct like your phone and internet bill if you need to like contact your tenants through email or through your phone, then you could deduct that because it's a necessary part of your business. And so most people build wealth through several mechanisms in buy and hold investing, not just the tax implications, but also the appreciation on the property, the fact that rents go up over time. And it hedges against inflation too, because your rent, your mortgage payment will stay the same. Like let's say you take out mortgage for $1,000 a month, um, but the prices, like um, the value of money goes down 
So you're paying back your mortgage in cheaper dollars. So I take the iPhone analogy, for instance, an iPhone now is worth $1,000. But let's say in the future with inflation, now it's worth $2,000. Well, if you sell that same iPhone for $2,000, you pay for two months worth of your mortgage. If it's a $1,000 mortgage versus now it would only pay for a one month worth of mortgage. So basically over time, your mortgages get easier and easier to pay back. Right, right. And, and let's talk about that for a second. So let me give you an example here. Let's say somebody is sticking all of their money into a savings account, which is yielding like 2 3%, something like that. What, what's the danger in that? So inflation is about 2 or 3% per year. So yes, if you do make 3% interest, you're basically keeping at the level of inflation. You're not really gaining anything. Versus something like, you know, real estate or maybe even stock market investing, right? You have a, a return of at least 7%, 10%, 12%. So that beats inflation. Right. And you, know, you can keep reinvesting that money as well, especially in real estate without being taxed on it to grow your portfolio and grow your passive income. Right, right. No, definitely. I think, and I think that's something that, a lot of people need to learn, right? It's, if you're just socking your money away, if inflation's going up, then that the value of that money is decreasing over time. Especially now, you know the way they're paying all these stimulus checks and things like that is they're printing a lot of money. So there's going to be more money out there, and the value of that money is going to keep going down. down. Exactly. So as the money supply increases, what they do, what they call quantitative easing, right now over the long term, that leads to inflation. Uh, the value of the money going down, the value of each dollar going down because they're just printing more dollars. All right. So when you decided to get into this, um, you know, what you, I know you said you, you, your, your grandfather was doing this for a bit. What, uh, what kinds of fears did you have when you first started? Oh, I mean, I had everything. I was, I was afraid I wasn't going to get a renter. Um, I was afraid that, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. Like I didn't have any knowledge getting started. So I, I just kind of wanted to get started because I knew it, in the long run, real estate would work for me. But I had a lot of problems actually that, and a lot of fears that came true too. Like these aren't like fears that aren't going to happen. They're, they're fears that could happen for sure. Um, but what I did is I learned from my mistakes um, I made the mistakes and I learned and strategized, okay, how can I like overcome this mistake? How can I do this better for next time? So for instance, on my very first rental, I actually lost $30,000. Uh, one of the reasons was because I had a vacancy for eight months because I didn't know how to advertise. I just put a sign on my lawn saying for rent and I would just get a bunch of random people calling me and none of them were college students. Um, so I learned that I have to advertise in the right places. Because if you advertise in the wrong place, it's like fishing in an empty pond or you're, you know, you're getting a lot of uh, low quality tenants or tenants that you don't, you're not targeting in your marketing. Um, another thing that I should have done was uh, I actually lost a lot of money because I got, so I got this call one night from a tenant saying, dude, there's like sewage coming out of the kitchen sink. It's all over the floor now. Yeah. And so I had to get a cleanup crew on in there. Like at midnight, it was like 11 p.m. on a weekend, right? So I was paying premium price for that. I also had a plumber come in, assess the issue. Turns out there is a, a huge break in the sewage line. So I had to replace the whole line um, with PVC pipe that cost me $9,000. And I realized that 
I could have done a sewage line inspection where they put a snake down the pipe. Um, it was basically a camera down the pipe to check if there's any breaks or cracks. And I could have saved myself like $9,000 by simply negotiating that during the, the deal phase, escrow phase of the house. And so I guess I did make mistakes. Yes, these fears are legitimate, but there's also like, okay, that empowerment where you have to figure out how to get past this obstacle and what you can do to optimize this for the next time around. And that's what really led me to scale so quickly is because I learned from my mistakes. I learned um, what to look out for on every deal that I purchased. Right. And we'll talk about this in, in a little bit, you know, it, it, for, for this audience, a lot of them would be using VA home loans, which actually require a, a very strict inspection process before you actually get into them. Um, you know, you're, you're required to do it. I don't think the scope is actually, uh, scope in the pipes is actually a necessity, but it's definitely something that will be suggested to you along the way because you're going to be required to get this inspection done. Um, but, you know, I think with something like this, anything that's foreign is always going to have fear attached to it. And one of the things to remember is that there's other human beings out there who are doing this right now who don't necessarily have all the background or education to do it, um, which means it's possible to do, right? If you're out there and, and you're doing this, there, there, there's definitely possibilities. Um, you know, I, I mentioned you being in California at the time, right? And or, or, or still in California, you're investing in California and you're obviously making money doing it. Um, you know, one of the things I want to mention here as far as in terms of cash flow is how are you structuring your analysis of your properties so that you know you're going to make money off of them afterwards or after you actually acquire them and start start taking in rents? That's a very good question. Um, there's something out there called the 1% rule. And I don't recommend this for everything. It's just kind of a guideline mainly. So 1% rule basically means that your rental income is 1% of the total price you pay for the property. So like, let's say you buy a $200,000 house. That means you should be making $2,000 per month in rental income to meet that 1% rule. Another way you can do that is uh, take out a deal analysis calculator, which basically um, you figure out how much you're paying for in the mortgage. And let's say the mortgage is $2, like $1,000 per month. And then your rental income is $2,000 per month. Well, let's say you have like $500 per month paid toward repairs and taxes and all that. Well, then your what we call cash flow is $500 because you take $2,000 minus the $1,000 minus the $500 in the expenses. And whatever is left is called your cash flow per month. And so what you want to do is figure out your annual cash flow and then divide that by the price of the property. And that gives you like a return on investment called the cap. And I mean, if you guys really want to look into it, kind of Google cap rate, um, there's another measure called cash on cash return. And those are several ways to measure what your return on investment is. But for like the newbie investor, you can totally use that 1% rule because it's, the, it's probably the easiest way to go about it. Right, right. And there's a lot of different calculators out there. I know Bigger Pockets has a calculator that people yeah, can use. Yeah. One of the things to mention here is that when you're actually doing your calculations, make sure you're including taxes and insurance uh, in the calculations, along with a bunch of other capital expenditures, uh, you know, 
accounting for maintenance, accounting for vacancy rates and things like that. It's not just going to be your mortgage payment that's got to be covered under expenses, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. The bigger pockets does a really good job of explaining like capital expenditures, um, vacancy rates and insurance and all of that. That's cool. That's cool. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a million things that people have probably heard about, uh, being a landlord, right? Like getting those phone calls that you mentioned at, at you know, midnight, um, you know, dealing with broken toilets, that kind of stuff. How do you get around that? Um, you know, if you want this to be a truly passive investment, how do, how do you get around that kind of thing? Yeah, so that's where systems and teams comes in. So creating like a team of contractors that you can rely on for everything that could possibly come up on the house. So like I have a guy who, you know, if the toilet breaks down, he's good for that. I have a guy for flooring. I have a guy for uh, if I want to put up some drywall and create an extra bedroom, he's an expert on that. He's done it many times before. Right. So basically kind of your connections that you create. Um, it allows you to have access to that expert advice. So when something like that does come up, uh, you know exactly who to turn to. So nowadays I get like, if something went wrong, like maybe there's a broken toilet, the tenant would text me, I'll forward it to the proper contractor. That contractor will let himself in using the electronic uh, code on the door, right? And then he would get the job done. I'll have someone check his work and then he'll send me a bill and I'll send him a check. And that's, you know, less than an hour of my time, pretty much uh, just doing that because I have like a little, you know, a system in place for it. Right. Awesome. That's awesome. So actually deal with that. And then there's actually, you know, professional property managers you can go with that, 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 uh, you know, will take a percentage of rent, that kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I actually self-manage my property. I have 17 tenants that's making $10,755 per a month in rental income. And I'm still able to do this while I work as a full-time pharmacist, because again, once you establish those systems and create that team in place, then everything becomes automated. And then it basically becomes true passive income. It's a hands-off process. I spend less than an hour a week um, managing my properties, even though I have 17 tenants. And that's a lot to do with like screening the tenants as well, making sure you choose high quality tenants who kind of can take responsibility for certain tasks around the house and can take care of themselves, right? Not right. someone who's really needy and is always needing the landlord to pick up slack and, and do things for them. Yeah, let's talk about the, the screening process. Um, you know, that's a really important thing to think about. You know, you don't want to just take the first person that's that's going to come up and, and, and everything. I mean, of course, there are certain laws that you have to follow. If a person's qualified, you do have to you have to um, grant them tenancy. Right. But but, you know, how do you go about picking the proper people um, to come into your properties? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, there are anti-discrimination laws out there. Uh, the federal fair housing laws, if you want to look those up, basically saying you can't discriminate based off of age, sex, race, uh, national origin, that type of stuff. Um, but I have this system, I call it the prime system that I teach my uh, mentees uh, how to find high quality tenants. So the P in prime stands for placement of advertisements. So you wanna place your ads in the right place. Um, remember how I basically put a for rent sign on my lawn and I got a lot of like um, unqualified tenants. Well, 
where I go is I, I go where the college tenants hang out. So like the college bulletin boards, uh, Facebook housing groups, uh, Craigslist sometimes, I'm just kind of getting creative and figuring out where they hang out and then placing my ads there. Because like I said, uh, putting your ads in a place where they're not hanging out is like fishing in an empty pond and you don't want that. So R stands for uh, reviewing social media. So I usually screen their, their Facebook profile, their Instagram. It's kind of like how... Um, Employers are now screening like employees through Facebook as well. Um, you kind of see what type of person they are uh, based off of what they post. You know, are they someone who parties all the time, who has a lot of pictures of them drinking alcohol, getting, you know, drunk, uh, smoking or doing drugs or going to raves or stuff like that? Well, maybe not the best type of tenant. Maybe they're a good person, but they might not be the best tenant for the house. Right. Um, right. I stands for identifying the type of tenant they are from your interactions with them. So that's like, if they are always asking for like cheaper rent, are they someone who seems to be difficult to communicate with? Do they seem needy? Are they asking for things before they even sign the lease? You know, that type of stuff. Um, M stands for measuring responsiveness. So that's uh, the more responsive they are, the more responsible they probably are. Um, if they're getting back to you with their uh, proof of income and paperwork a lot, faster, like within a couple of days, then they're probably going to be pretty responsible down the line when you ask them um, to pay like late rent, you know. Um, and then E stands for insuring proof of income, which is the final step. You just have to make sure that their parents or they can pay their loan with a student loan. Uh, I accept like financial aid papers or uh, usually what I do is I check the last two month bank statements and FICO score of the parent. Um, and that kind of ensures you never get late rent or unpaid rent. The other thing is the parent, there's no parent out there who's not going to pay their child's rent and risk their child getting evicted from their place they're staying at college, right? right? So I've never had to deal with unpaid rent or evictions, which is the, the really cool part about uh, renting to college students. Uh, not only there, there's a huge market because, you know, the, the student has is only paying like $600 versus $1,200 for college dormitories and they get more privacy and they don't have to pay for a meal plan. But also, you know, it's great because the parents are taking care of their kids. They're paying the rent. They're also sometimes coming over and helping clean up after their child. Or, you know, I've had parents like literally vacuum the whole house when they come over to visit. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. I think my mom would whip my ass if, uh, if I ever asked her to do that. But Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. But you bring up a good point there is that, you know, when you're, you're getting into this, it is a business. So you want to find a good target market or niche that's going to work for you. Right. So, you know, you, you've got college students. There's also, you know, military bases, the area around military bases, trying, trying to rent out to active duty military members. Um, you know, you can pick the geographic area so that you're not necessarily inside of a city, but right next to a city. So you can pick up the commuters, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. So investing anywhere near like military bases, college towns, um, what else? Like big companies, big name companies, hospitals, getting hospital workers um, are all great strategies for just choosing the right location. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um you know, so, and I, I just want to, again, emphasize this because I, I just went through this and finding tenants is, is, you know, don't jump on the first tenant you try to, that first person that like messages you over Facebook and says, hey, I want in, 
you know, the, the cost of evicting a tenant um, can, can definitely be a lot more than, than uh, you know, spending a little bit of extra time and screening properly and making sure that you are, uh, you're, you're, you're getting the right person in there. Yeah, exactly. And that's not including like the mental cost of it too, the headaches that you have to deal with. Um, you have to worry about it. It stresses you out. It's taking away from other things you want to do in life, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about like finding deals, um, trying to figure out uh, what properties you want to invest in. How do you find your deals? How, how do you go about that? Yeah. So I usually look for any colleges around within a one hour driving distance of my my current place. Um, this is just like just to set it up. You might have to drive out 30 minutes up to an hour just to make sure you're in a city that has affordable housing. Um, once everything is set up, like everything's automated, like, for instance, I haven't visited my properties for a year and a half now. The last time I visited was just to um, help move in some furniture to my fourth property. But after that, you know, everything can be automated through your systems and your teams if, as long as you set those up. Um, you want to make sure the most important thing is you want to make sure that there's cash flow. So you have to make sure you buy a property that's cheap enough so that the mortgage on it is obviously significantly less than the rental income that you could be making on it. I also target uh, colleges that are more like Ivy League type colleges, colleges that are harder to get into so that the students who I rent to are more like straight A students, they're studious, they're serious about getting their degree, um, you know, they're serious about promoting uh, like you know when they get into the workforce they're serious about getting their promotions being the top of class all that type of stuff so i i do invest specifically in those types of colleges nice nice no keg stands nothing like that on the social media right yeah <laughs> no like freeloaders i i target yeah mainly people who are very serious um about their you know academic growth personal growth that type of stuff awesome awesome yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, when you're searching for deals, are you searching on like your computer? Are you on Zillow? Are you on Facebook? That kind of stuff? Or? Yeah, I actually recommend getting a local uh, real estate agent because they know the market best. They know exactly what houses are selling for, what looks like a good deal in that market, which neighborhoods to avoid because of safety or security concerns. Um and they really give you that personal insight you need into that market and help you kind of, it's a good base to build your team because maybe they know some contractors in the area that do flooring or put up, you know, drywall. They know landscapers, they know, um, you know, lenders maybe. Um, so I always recommend starting with a real estate agent um, and they can send you MLS listings directly to your email box. Um, the other thing I do, of course, is I scour Zillow and Redfin and just see, you know, constantly look through, okay, what are things selling for? What can I get for what's, what really makes a good deal in that market? Awesome. What, um, what about financing? So you mentioned you have 17 deals right now or 17 properties right now or 17. Sorry, four. So this is the cool part about this method. I actually only have four single family homes gotcha. that is making that $10,755 per month and income because I rent out by the bedroom. So it's like kind of create, turning a single family into a multi-unit property. And that's where the, the profit comes from. Um, sorry, can you restate your question? I, I no, no, that's what I was thinking yeah. about. Because 
you'd mentioned 17 tenants and I was thinking 17 properties, but the reality is you have four houses and because you're in the niche you are in that your tenants don't mind living each with each other. So you have really like a, a, a true alternative to the dorms and these campuses, right? Oh yeah, exactly. Like I said, it's like they're paying half the price. They don't have to pay for a meal plan. So for a lot of them, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, whenever I put like an ad up on the Facebook group, I would say within three days, I get 12 people contacting me because, you know, it, it's just a huge market. Um, a lot of people are looking to save money and to live off campus versus the dormitories, which are charging like $1,200 a month. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And mm-hmm. my, my, the question I had was with financing, right? So you've been able to secure four of these, um, you know, how did you go about that? Is it through traditional mortgage? Are you doing any other types of financing or anything like that? Yeah. So most of my financing is conventional financing, but I did take something out called a HELOC on the first property. The, the sad part about the first property was obviously I lost over $30,000. But the upside of that was the house went up in price by $60,000. It appreciated because I put in so much stuff. I put in a new HVAC system. I created the extra bedroom, all of that. And so it went up $60,000. And I was able to take that money out and access it using something called a home equity line of credit, which is basically like a low interest rate credit card. You're paying maybe um, five or six percent interest on it. It depends on what the federal prime rate is, um, but it's super low. So you have access to that $60,000 that you can put as a down payment on another property and you can really leverage your money. Let's say you're making a return on investment of 15 percent on that you know, cash on cash return for, for that $60,000, then it just makes sense to take out that money as a HELOC and, and buy another property because you're making a 15% return and only paying a 5% interest rate. That's overall a 10% return. That's awesome. And I want to see specifically for this audience with financing is we have this awesome thing called the VA loan, right? And I'll give you an example. You know, I just moved to Florida I bought a house. Um, house was three hundred and forty thousand uh, dollars. Put my earnest money down, but literally did not have much more than that. I actually got money back at closing. Right, so like you could do no money down very easily as a veteran and still be able to to you know and 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 get a pretty nice house with with using leverage. Right. Um, oh yeah. I don't recommend that for like everybody. It has to be a good deal. You have to make sure you're getting cash flow because the payment's going to be higher. But, um, you know, it's it, it's an option that we have as veterans. And it's something that, that makes the veteran community particularly apt for uh, this type of uh, investing. Oh, yeah, exactly. The VA really takes care of the veterans. The other thing is something called VAH, which is the basic allowance for housing which is uh, payments, they just pay you on a monthly basis uh, to locate out of the uh, military guarantees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's if you're an active duty military member. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If, uh, if you're yeah, still on active I, duty, right. Yeah, I, think, I, I just think the VA loan is a great option. You do have to be the first resident of record at the home. So like you do, it works well for what we call house hacking, which I'll, we'll, we'll define in a second, but like, um, you know, if you're going to live in the home and you want to rent part of that place out, 
it, it'll be a great opportunity for you. Um, can you define house hacking for the audience real quick? Oh yeah, for sure. So house hacking is where you actually can put a very low down payment, especially for veterans, but potentially 0% down payment, right? Um, and you basically live in a bedroom for at least a year and you rent out the other bedrooms. And so you're really leveraging the uh, cash that you're putting into that property. And your your roommates are basically paying the mortgage down for you. That's why it's called house hacking. Right, right. So like, that's what I'm doing right now. I was able to find a single family home and that had an efficiency in the back. And my fiance and I were living in the efficiency and then we're renting out the single family home and that completely covers the mortgage. So we're basically living for free, rent free, mortgage free, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And people do this for like duplexes, triplexes as well. So you can still have that privacy, live in one unit and then just rent out the other units. And as long as you can cover the mortgage payment with that rental income, it makes a whole lot more sense than renting, renting yourself to stay out of place because yeah. you're not paying any rent. You, you know, that rent goes up over time, your house or property prices go up over time and you take advantage of those tax benefits. So anyone who's not house hacking, you know, I, I would highly recommend trying it or considering it in your right, life. right. And then, I mean, a few of the other things, like one, people are you're building that equity as people are paying the rent. Two, um, you're saving so much money, and that's money that can go to a to a future investment. That's money that can can you know go anywhere, go into your IRA, you know that kind of stuff. So, oh yeah, definitely. Awesome. And this is not just for um, veterans as well. There's also um, something called an FHA loan for anyone else, right? You can put as low as a three and a half percent down payment and do a house hack using an FHA loan. So there's tons of options for that. Right, right, absolutely. And and the uh, the other cool part about a VA loan that I, I've learned is that you um, some people think you can only have one and, and you can only have like a certain amount at a time. Right. So if you use your VA home loan, um, and let's say you, you, you build a little bit of equity in it and then you refinance out of that loan, you could use that VA home loan again. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's probably one of the biggest strategies out there is once you have enough equity on a property, you refinance it and then you reuse that VA loan. I think there's also an allowance for a second home, like a vacation home, but I'm not hundred percent sure there, but yeah, take advantage of those. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you've done this, you're, you're getting into, now you're getting into mentoring. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And, and yeah, so I teach the student housing method uh, because I realize it's probably one of the best ways for newbies to get into real estate investing because you already have the profit makes sense in pretty much everywhere in the United States um, because you're doubling your rental income that you could be getting per house. It's a win-win situation also because, you know, the students are getting cheaper housing than on-campus housing. Um, you're, you know, you're increasing your profit for yourself and you, you're able to provide, you know, jobs for contractors and all that. So, you know, the, I was really passionate about what I'm doing. So I started teaching others how to do it as well. Um, for those who are interested, I do offer a free PDF, and I could just mention it here. Uh, it basically goes over, if you're a newbie real estate investor, what are the different areas out there? And it, it goes through the housing, the student housing strategy that I use in more detail, 
And you can access that through my website. It's at www.newbierealestateinvesting.com. That's www.newbierealestateinvesting.com. And newbie is spelled N-E-W-B-I. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Basically, again, like I walk everyone through A to Z, the, the whole deal analysis process so that they don't have to make the same mistakes that I did on my first property. Absolutely. That's so important. I mean, there, there, there's a lot of resources out there. There's, and here's the thing. We're almost in a time and place where there's too much information out there. So like if you go and you Google like real estate investing right now, you'll probably get some good resources, but then there's going to be other resources out there that are like, you know, make a million dollars in a week or something like that. And it's good to, to know when you have somebody who's out there, who's actually doing it like Ryan is, um, you want to learn from that person. You don't want to learn from the, the, the guy who's making all his money off of like, you know, a, a, an online course or something like that. Right. You want, you want people who are actually doing this. So, so, you know, that, that's awesome that you're putting that out there, Ryan. Yeah. I, I really recommend for anyone who wants you know, to get started in real estate investing, yeah, find a mentor. Like if, the, if you want to get into flipping, find someone who's done like, you know, 10, 20 flips. If you want to get into apartment investing, find someone who owns a couple of apartments. If you wanted to get into student housing, you know, I teach that. So that, that type of thing, you know, really finding a mentor can um, squeeze the amount of time it takes for you to become successful in this area. And it could lead you to, of course, avoid a lot of the common errors and also get into the mindset of a real, what a real estate investor kind of has or has to develop over time. Because there's a certain mindset that sets like real estate invest, like successful real estate investors apart from someone who just kind of gets in and things aren't working. And so they quit. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Ryan, one, I want, I want to thank you for coming on here today. Um, you know, I, I think this is something that we in this community, we really need to, to think about, right? How, not only, you know, how we're, 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 we're doing right now, but what are we doing for the future? How are we building ourselves up? And one of the things I always say on the show is that, you know, if we want to change the world, if we, we, we want to make things better, we've got to be in a position to be able to do so. And wise investing, making sure you're smart with your money, putting yourself into a position where you can take care of yourself um, is, is probably the, the number one thing you should be doing before you start trying to worry about uh, the impact you're going to have on the world. Exactly. Yeah. So I reckon, you know, it's kind of like some people will say like, Oh, money isn't everything or whatever, or, you know, I'd rather spend time with my family. What I say to that is, you know, get your money game right. So you can spend more time with your family. Those are the same people who work 40 hours a week away from their family. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really about not just about like making, building this wealth. It's about getting the money game right so that you can make that bigger impact on the world. Help yourself first and then, you know, so you can help others, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Man. Do you have anything else for the audience before we, uh, before we sign off? No, I mean, um, I would say it's very intimidating to get started, obviously, but the biggest thing is just to take action. There's something called ready, um, fire, aim, which usually we say ready, aim, fire, right? But instead, what you want to do is ready, ready yourself, just fire first, 
figure buy your first property and then figure it out along the way. And of course, help hiring a mentor or just finding someone who's done it before uh, helps out, of course, for sure. But also just having that mentality that there will be obstacles that come up, there will be problems, but I'm going to figure out how to solve them along the way. Not, not everything's going to be perfect before I get stuck. Absolutely. You can't wait for things to be perfect before you go. You got to you gotta take some action. And, and uh, you know, when it comes to self-confidence, the best way to build confidence is by actually doing something, right? Yeah. And I hope I inspired some of you guys to take action because, you know, I was just a, you know, normal W-2 worker and I was able to build this thing up on the side. And it doesn't take as much time as you guys think once you set it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, Ryan, man, I want to thank you. I want to acknowledge you for taking action in your life and, and actually getting out there to tell other people about it. And um, can you just say that website one more time that people can go to? Oh, yeah, for sure. For anyone who wants to connect with me, um, also get that those free resources. I also have like a deal analysis calculator uh, for you guys as well. It's uh, at www.newbierealestateinvesting.com. And newbie is spelled N-E-W-B-I-E. Awesome. Awesome. And are you on social media at all too? Oh yeah. Uh, I do have like a Facebook group. It's called newbie real estate investors. Um, I'm on Instagram. If you want to connect with me, it's at chow chow. That's C A O C A O eight, 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 eight. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Ryan to everybody out there, you know, listening to these podcasts is one thing, but also go out there and take action and, and maybe start with small actions. Maybe get on there, start analyzing some deals, go to go to Ryan's website, check out his deal calculator, see how that works and find yourself a real estate agent, right? Start looking around there. There's so much that you can do here in this space. And, you know, right now is as good as the time is in. So with that, guys, I want to thank you so much for listening. This is Chris Albert with the Warriors Hole Podcast, Ryan Chaw, and we are out. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Mr. Ryan Chaw. I'm going to get all the links to Ryan and everything he's doing up on the show notes for this episode. Um, listen, guys, I, I have this episode for a reason. It's because I think we in this community are uniquely positioned to be able to invest in real estate. And I think it's something that could help us to build wealth. And one of the things I'm always telling you guys about is, you know, if we're going to make this world a better place, we have to make us better. We have to build our position. And, you know, you might like to think that money isn't everything and it's not. I don't believe money's everything, but it's a big part in making sure that we're secure enough and uh, able enough to exact change here on this planet. So hope you guys take advantage of this. I hope you guys definitely check out Mr. Cha and I hope you guys definitely take action on your own. With that, guys, we'll be back at you next week with some more awesome content. My name is Chris Albert and this is the Warrior Soul Podcast.